From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with you and with my friend and colleague, Quincy Crosby. Quincy, how are you today? Fine, Jeff. Thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to have you with us. Uh, I'm especially glad you're with us because we have a little bit of an international flavor uh, to the podcast today. We're going to talk quite a bit about Europe. Uh, mm -hmm. And certainly we're going to talk Fed too because Jackson Hole's coming up. Uh, and I know those are two areas where you certainly have uh, a lot of expertise. Uh, so uh, let's get to it. It is August 23rd. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday morning, and thankfully, stocks are hanging in there today, pretty flattish after the uh, the big drops on Friday and Monday. So here's uh, our agenda for today. We've got four topics. First, how much further might this slide go? We're down about 4% from the top. So not much of a slide, but it is a little bit of a slide. Second, uh, quick housing update. That was the topic of our weekly market commentary for this week, available on LPL.com, authored by our chief economist, Jeffrey Roach. Uh, third, Europe's energy crisis is worsening. Uh, so we'll talk Europe. And then lastly, Jackson Hole preview. So uh, how much further might this slide go? I um, I think this is appropriate given it is late August and folks are taking their summer vacations with their families. Uh, so we've got a water slide here. This uh, certainly has a lot of twists and turns, which this market no doubt has had. So turning from one slide to another, certainly more modest slide thus far, um, we are down about 4% from the recent high. Uh, and, you know, the market rolled over at a convenient spot right at that 200-day moving average. It was almost like everybody was watching for it at the same time, call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, Quincy, um, I mean, first, you know, a lot of people don't really believe in technicals. So, the, you know, the question is, um, should this, you know, be um, a reason for investors to think that, maybe we'll get support at the 50-day, right? If people were watching the 200-day and stocks followed that by reversing lower, might we might we rebound and, and move back higher again at the 50-day, which is 39.69, uh, or do we even go that far down? Well, I think so much depends on the uh, comments from Chairman Powell. It's, it's extremely important, even if he doesn't address the issues that the market wants to learn about or hear about. Uh, he has said he's data dependent, but nonetheless, uh, it is going to be very important. The market's going to move, currencies are going to move, uh, and the market's going to move. One thing about the 200-day, Jeff, that's an area that is watched very closely uh, by institutional money managers. Certainly, they're not technicians, but they keep their eye on the 200-day. And this is important for the market because when institutional money managers come into the market, uh, it is going to be powerful. I have, I have a sneaking suspicion that they did come in despite their misgivings because we know that they tend to be bearish right now. But I think they were coming in, they fear of missing out. But when they come in, uh, it is going to be, uh, uh, the market's gonna be underpinned by a tremendous amount of volume. The 200 day is crucial and everybody becomes a technician when there's uncertainty. No doubt. Yeah. So not only do we want to see the S&P 500 break above 
uh, the 200 day. We want to see that 200 day sloping upwards. So we've got some work to do. Uh, hopefully, uh, the Fed's message will comfort the market and uh, and, and stocks can turn around. Um, our uh, technical folks think maybe 3,900 is um, is where the support will be. Uh, we'll see if we go down that far, but th certainly we got to get through 3,969 exactly. on the downside, the 50 day first. Um, so we gave a couple of uh, you know technical reasons why we thought. The bull market had begun. We certainly won't know until we go back up uh, 20%, but although some people say we have to go back to a new high. At any rate, um, we talked about the 50% retracement, which we did, which is a positive sign. We also talked about this breadth surge. And so I wanted to put these numbers in. This is from a blog we did uh, late last week on um, lprresearch.com where when historically we've gotten these breath surges, at least over the last 30 years, you've seen really, really strong performance from the S&P 500 subsequent to that. Uh, these numbers come from Bespoke Investment Group. And you see, after we get these big surges where over 90% of the S&P 500 is above the 50-day moving average, uh, you get on average an 18% gain over the next year. And you know that's obviously very, a very strong gain, but per perhaps even more impressive is you're up uh, 15 out of 16 cases here, right? So, I mean, the, the odds that we're up in a year, at least based on this study, it's just one study, sample size isn't huge, but uh, the odds that we're up in a year are pretty good and actually good returns in the near term too. Three months, six months, 12 months, you know, up an average of 6%, basically 9%. And then at 18% with very, very high batting averages. So this tells us uh, that um, this, this market has some early cycle, early bull market characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, they could um, uh, they could push us higher. Uh, I also want to draw this 2011 comparison, which I think is interesting, to point out that you know even though we think a new bull market has begun, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to have any volatility. And so 2011 is instructive in that re regard mm -hmm. because... You know, we had a breath surge in October, hitting that 90% trigger. And then in November, uh, stocks uh, pulled back 10%. In fact, we saw the same 17% rally in October of 2011 that we just saw coming off of the June lows uh, before that correction. So, you know, Quincy, do you, do you think we could pull back 10% or uh, is that maybe a little too aggressive given the, um, given the landscape? Again, so much depends on on you know how the Fed attempts to curtail inflation and bring us to price stability. But one thing that you know is important with the pullbacks, it makes the market more attractive in terms of valuation. You know, when the market has those surges, just the last surge, suddenly uh, the bar is higher in terms of what the market expects from uh, corporations, companies uh, in their in their earnings, uh, especially if they're in a sector such as technology, where the um, valuations climbed very quickly, much higher. So you want to see the market pull back. You want to see the market digest the gains, the valuation for the overall market on a you know, forward, 12-month forward uh, pullback, because that, that, that brings us to a level when we go through the next earnings season, uh, you know, the bar is not as high. It doesn't have to be perfection in order to keep the market, uh, the market gains. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. You know, the PE ratio of the S and P 500 is back up near 18. Exactly. So the bar is certainly higher. We've lost the ability for earnings season to drive us higher. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, um, 
you know, we've we've looked at performance of the stock market in and out of earnings season in the past, and you tend to see stocks do better during earnings season as opposed to outside of yeah. earnings season. So we're kind of following that uh, that playbook right now. Uh, so let, let's turn to our next segment, which is housing. Again, the topic of our weekly. Uh, th- this is important to all of us, uh, you know, because certainly most of us own homes and many of us certainly are uh, renting and looking for homes. Uh, it's it's important because it provides us for the place to live, obviously, but it's also important because there's a wealth effect, right? The, the house uh, that folks own is their biggest asset for the most part. And uh, certainly based on the change in home prices, it can affect people's confidence, their willingness uh, to spend. So we certainly pay close attention to the housing market, even though it's not a huge percentage of GDP. Uh, so um, we've got three housing charts here. The first one, existing home sales plummet as rates rose. This is no surprise to any of you. When interest rates move so much higher in a short period of time, that, of course, affects uh, the housing market quite a bit. So this is a big decline. You can just see it um, in, in this chart. Uh, to give you the numbers specifically, we had a 5.9% drop in existing home sales in July. Actually, new home sales are being reported in just a few minutes. Uh, that's the biggest one month drop since February, and it is the sixth straight decline. Uh, and um, contract closings fell uh, to an annualized 4.81 million, lowest level since May, 2020, right? We know there wasn't a whole lot of housing activity in May, 2020 uh, for obvious reasons. And then if you take out the pandemic, this is the lowest level of existing home sales since 2015. So the no, there's no doubt uh, that the housing market has slowed. But Quincy, this is really interesting. Um, I found you know that inventories are so low, yeah, still mm-hmm. that, uh, and you see that on on this chart. The blue line yeah. is the uh, months of supply, only three months supply. So inventory is so low. So mm-hmm. even though the housing market has dramatically slowed. Even though mortgage rates have surged higher, the average day on the market, um, average number of days on the market for a home in July was only 14 days. Mm-hmm. That to me is remarkable. And not only that, that was down year over year from 17 days mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. So, uh, you know, even though activity is down, people who are trying to sell a house are actually not in a bad place right now. No, and you know, they're cutting prices. It it always worked out over the years, over decades. Interest rates go up, prices come down. And so many have to lower the prices. Many of the expectations are coming down. But you know, the the cancellations, that's what I'm paying attention to. The the number of, of, of canceled deals is just skyrocketing. It's surging. Uh, from just a, you know a couple of uh, a month ago or so, this is telling you that Americans, I think, are afraid about one thing about their jobs. Because when you are worried about whether or not you're going to keep your job, you don't want to take on any debt, even if it's an attractive price for the house. You don't want to keep on uh, take on any extra debt. You become much more cautious. And so, as you see these headlines of name companies. Uh, letting folks go, it, it tends to spread through the economy and um, it, it tends to scare people. They don't want to be the next one, you know, being told that they're being let go. And that, I think, has to do with the high, very high cancellation rate. 
So you're saying that Elon Musk isn't the only one trying to get out of a purchase? No, no, not, not just Elon Musk. And, and they don't have the, the same ability to sell other stock. Um, and, and the foot and the foot track foot traffic has also um, come down. You know, at least initially, we heard from some of the high end builders. Well, you know, when when the Fed began raising rates, and they said, "Oh, you know, foot traffic is is good," at the, although they're, they're they're not they're not signing contracts. They're talking, but they're leaving. And uh, now, foot traffic is down too. Yes, and so you know, based on that, the housing market will probably continue to slow. Yeah. Um, we'll have uh, you know a little bit of a drag on GDP from the housing investment, you know, residential investment component, uh, probably in the second half of the year. Not not dramatically. It's I think I think it's like three four percent of GDP is housing yes. construction. It's very low, right? Uh, so we're not talking about a uh, you know something that's going to be the difference between recession or no recession. Uh, but nonetheless, housing will continue to slow. And remember that the Fed tightening works with a lag. Yes. Right. And so, uh, you know, the tightening that they've already done is probably not going to be fully felt for several more months. So more slowing for housing coming, not a particularly positive story, but the low inventory and, and uh, you know, quick speed to close is certainly a positive story. Um, this is an interesting piece that um, that uh, Jeff Roach put in the uh, weekly as well about the, he calls it the great reshuffle. Right. And mm -hmm. so, you know, during the pandemic, of course, many people have had more geographic flexibility. Mm -hmm. So they yeah. have left, uh, in many cases, uh, left the West and the Northeast and gone to the South. So the South, uh, though, has certainly seen a lot less activity lately. Uh, but uh, you certainly have a lot more sales in the South, as you can see here from this top orange line. Sales in the South, well ahead of the um, of those in the um, you know the rest of the country, but but they've come back down, and so maybe this is sort of normalization. Mm -hmm. um, people, you know, why are people moving? Well, they can for one, two, uh, certainly lower taxes, and third, lower cost of living. And in an inflation environment like this, Quincy certainly yeah. uh, moving to a place that has a cheaper cost of living is very attractive to many mm -hmm. folks, especially if they don't have to commute into Manhattan five days a week. That was my life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I lived in Manhattan, so I'd had a short commute to Manhattan <laughs> when I was there, but uh, th that is certainly uh, a big cost. And you're even seeing some talk of commuter cost reimbursement, right? Yes, to get yes, employees yes, back yes. into the office, yes. you know, yes. just just pay for the train pass. So yes. we'll see if that goes anywhere. Uh, but you are seeing uh, more and more companies trying to get employees back to the office. And that's certainly something that I am planning to, to do before. Too long. Uh, so let's go to our, our next segment before we close with Jackson Hole. And Quincy, this is certainly a, uh, a map you know very well with all of your international travel. You know, Europe, I, I um, you know, certainly what's going on in Ukraine is 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 tragic, you know, devastating. Um, but if you if you look at the economic performance of core Eurozone, actually is been okay to date, right? I mean, I've been, you know, we've been calling for a European recession really all year and it hasn't happened yet. It probably will happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, right mm -hmm. now the, the European economic data actually is, is, is decent. So I'll give, I'll give the Europeans credit. Um, 
you know, for, for hanging in there. But, you know, a recession is probably coming. And, you know, the big reason why is, is German, um, you know, Germany's natural gas problem, right? And so what has that done? Uh, I mean, it's broader than just German natural gas, but but look at this chart of of uh, Germany's electricity prices. You know, I, I've been in this business or following the markets for like 30 years, and I, I can guarantee you I've never looked at German ele electricity prices on Bloomberg. So this is a first. <laughs> and, and wow, I mean, this thing is parabolic. So, um, you know, the way I interpret this, unfortunately, Quincy, because you know, the Ukraine uh, ceasefire doesn't appear to be coming anytime soon, is things are just going to get worse over there. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're sometimes, some of the European countries that still have uh, nuclear power, you know, they're, they're trying to keep those alive a bit longer, even though there were plans to close them down. Nord Stream 1 right now, right now, is on maintenance again. This is the, the, the pipeline from, uh, from Russia. This is the gas pipeline, not not oil, but gas pipeline. Uh, the question is, you know, did they come back again? Did they come back twenty percent the way they did when they shut down for maintenance earlier? Uh, it it is a difficult situation, uh, and you couple that with the European Central Bank trying to uh, curtail inflation by raising rates. So you know they they've had one rate hike, which is fifty basis points. The question is right now. What happens? The difficulty for the ECB is that it is mandated that you cannot have inflation go above 2%. It's not a, you know, a, a maybe, not maybe. It, the question is, what does uh, Christine Lagarde and the, and the board do? Uh, what are the expectations are that there will be another rate hike? But again, just like here, it takes a while for it to work its way into the economies as you have higher rates. But this exacerbates dramatically um, the problem, particularly for Germany. The other thing is right now you have with a, a major port, a deep, deep water port in Germany, a part of the global supply chain under pressure. There are potential strikes going on. Uh, there's a heat wave, you name it. And then there's also the Europeans' relationship with China. They have a very strong trade relationship with China. And yet you have China demand actually down because China is trying to, uh, uh, Beijing is trying to stimulate uh, demand in, um, you know, in, within, within China. So again, they're being hit from all sides. That said, it's also a nation, as you well know, uh, Jeff, of, of small business owners. And, you know, small business owners, despite what's going on in the bigger, bigger, bigger scheme of things, try to make do. And we'll see if that happens uh, in Germany. I'm watching the banks in Europe because the banks tell an important story about the economies in Europe. Uh, there are many banks, and in some cases, that the banks make up the majority of some of the um, of the uh, uh, indexes in, in respective countries. So I'm watching that very, very closely. But uh, this story, as you said, is unfolding. It's difficult. One bit of good news, if you want to call it good news, because the reasons are not necessarily good, is that the euro has weakened dramatically, decades low against the U.S. dollar. For tourists, obviously, it's a good thing from the U.S. going over to Europe. Uh, and it will help their exports as long as demand picks up. But uh, the question really is, what's the next move for the, uh, for the ECB in terms of the, the rate hike campaign? 
And of course, what happens to Jackson Hole? What does uh, Chairman Powell say? Because that will also affect the dynamic between the uh, euro and the US dollar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dramatic move in currencies, which you know helps do a little bit of the Fed's job, right? It yes, exactly. Tightening. Puts a little down, yeah, tightens financial conditions, puts yeah. a little bit of downward pressure on mm -hmm. inflation because we you know, we're buying so much stuff from countries with depreciating currencies. Exactly. So yeah, a, a lot of um reasons why the dollar matters. I also um you know, think it's interesting in a bad way <laughs> how high inflation is in the UK now. Um, I think Germany's inflation is around 10%, which is not dramatically higher than where the U.S. just peaked, mm -hmm. likely peaked. Uh, U.K. inflation, I saw a forecast uh, this morning that 18. it may get as high as 18%. 18%. Yes, yes. And and wow. if, you, if you read the Bank of England report uh, when they raised rates and talked about a dip, di I mean, the report was so dismal in and of itself about deep recession. The difficulty in in um, you know curtailing inflation, it made for a incredibly uh, as one as one commentator mentioned, it was as if Eeyore wrote the report. Uh, if those of you who don't know Eeyore, he is the one that in Winnie the Pooh that said, "My birthday? Whoa, that's not a happy day. What? Why are you saying it's so happy?" Um, it was really dismal. And you know, the, the uh, they're going to have a new leader. It's uh, probably uh, trust coming in. As the head of the um, as head of the party, um, Tories, uh, she's got she's got her hands full in terms of of, of working through uh, what the Bank of England has uh, projected. It's dismal. No doubt, no doubt. So, uh, you know, for those who maybe have um, you know heavier investments in Europe than they like, you know, we we would consider maybe pairing those positions back because. Boy, things are getting really tough over there. We'll, we'll hope for some good news in mm -hmm. the form of a ceasefire, but they're getting really tough. And that, of course, is in a contrast, in sharp contrast with the U.S., where I I mean, I had to read this twice to even believe it. Today is the 70th day that the average national price of gas is down. 70th consecutive day. Mm -hmm. That is unbelievable. And I I I had thought before I looked into it that that would be a record, but it's actually not. Uh, in, um, I think it was 2018, um, we had, it, it was somewhere around there, it was late last decade, we had a streak of over 110 days, of mm -hmm. 110 straight days of gas prices coming down, which is just uh, unbelievable. So um, certainly the U.S.'s energy independence is very, uh, is a very good thing right now, given what's going on in Europe. And that should allow our economy to grow faster, at least in 2023, even though our economy actually is not growing faster right now uh, relative to, uh, to to Europe. So um, let, let's uh, let's close that out and do um, Jackson Hole. So Quincy, you're one of our star Fed watchers. <laughs> so I'll certainly look to you um, to tell me what to look for. I mean, my bias is certainly that it's gonna be hawkish uh, and that, you know, Powell will reiterate a lot of the same things he's been saying, but right in recent weeks. But what, what do you think? What should investors be watching? And what do you think the reaction might be to what we get? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, just as we always say about consumer sentiment reports, let's see what the consumer does rather than what they say. 
He's going to mention price stability. I don't know how many times, I don't know how many more times he can use that term, but it is the Fed's mandate. And the issue for the market, I think, believes, believes that the Fed does want to go towards price stability and not leave us in a stagflationary environment. The question is, how do they get there? And this is the interesting part, is does he allude to the possibility that the market seems to be pricing in, that we go into 2023 with rate hikes, but that the rate hikes become smaller and smaller, especially as quantitative tightening is taking place. And as you've said, you know, it works with a lag in any event. You've had 75 basis points, 50 basis points. Uh, it works with a lag, but that you go smaller doses of the medicine and even go into 2023. I don't know if he's gonna be that specific, he has said we want to be data dependent. They meet uh, September 20th, 21st. But just before he speaks, which is 10 o'clock Eastern on Friday morning, the PCE report comes out in the morning, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. That is going to give him a good idea of, of where inflation is headed. And typically, that tends to be a little bit cooler than the CPI the consumer price index. And so perhaps he'll have a, you know, a, a, a more upbeat report. Maybe he'll use the term plateau, that inflation is plateauing. I don't know what that does to the market, but I think it sounds good. I don't know if he'll use the term peak, but he may say plateauing, it's easing. Uh, that would be very helpful for the market. And obviously the market's trying to glean any sense of what the Fed is proposing not just for the September meeting, but past the September meeting, and even you know going into 2023, the, uh, that will move the markets. You know, look, the algorithms are going to get there first. They know exactly. They did this with Chairman um, Bernanke. I will never forget that the market was down, 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 and the minute Bernanke made the comment, the algorithms shot in, and the market just just climbed climbed higher. So we'll see what happens. But he wants to be careful because he, I think they were wounded by what happened and caught off guard when they had to go in a blackout period and change from 50 basis points to 75 and call up the media and get the, just a couple of days before the Fed meeting. They, he doesn't want to be boxed in. Nonetheless, I'll end with this. The Fed is caused, caught between a rock and a hard place. Some of the inflation is increasingly entrenched. And they have to break that. And it is rents, it is wages, and it is to some degree, it is um, uh, uh, oil. So you mentioned oil prices coming down. I just listened to the, um, the uh, energy minister from Saudi Arabia. You know, they made a fortune. Saudi Aramco made a fortune uh, recently, obviously, with oil prices. But this is what he said just overnight. He said, you know, uh, there's some volatility in the oil market. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to stabilize it. Perhaps we need to cut production. That is not what the market wants to hear. So uh, the oil market does because it pushes the price up, but not what the Fed wants to hear. So in other words, there are so many variables going into this. But again, the good news is he will have that report. It will come out before he speaks at 10 o'clock Eastern. That report, whatever he says, uh, a scintilla of, 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 of projection is going to move the market. 
which direction, we don't know, but I agree with you, Jeff, the rhetoric is going to be hawkish because it will follow the rhetoric, rhetoric from the Fed speakers who came out uh, right after the Fed meeting, after the market interpreted the minutes uh, in a dovish, dovish uh, tone. Uh, they came right out, all of them. Some of them dovish themselves, but came out and said, uh-uh, we are not finished with the job. We are moving towards price stability and market get ready. I mean, that's basically what their message was. I think he underscores that with, again, the promise of price stability and the importance of price stability for our economy and the labor market. Yeah, I think it's appropriate, Quincy, that the market is, the stock market anyway, is kind of right in between, yeah. you know, the kind of the recent highs, recent lows. It's sort of a, mm -hmm. I don't know, no man's land waiting yes. for a signal from the Fed. So as you alluded to earlier, maybe, you know, this will be the thing, uh, this meeting this weekend that either pushes us up toward the recent highs or or back mm -hmm. down to uh, maybe not to retest the June lows, but maybe to that 50-day um, yeah. uh, moving average. So exactly. You know, Powell will be hawkish. I, I also think it makes sense to, to focus on, uh, you know, how far this will go rather than 50 or 75. So the questions I'm asking myself, one, um, will the Fed win the battle on inflation? And I think the answer is yes. And I think yes. our team, our team, Yes. At LPL Research thinks the answer is yes, eventually. And mm -hmm. then how far will they have to take Fed funds? Well, given they're shrinking the balance sheet and there's a lot mm -hmm. of other things going on that are tightening financial conditions in yeah. addition to rate hikes. Yes. Once they get to four, that could be enough. Maybe they only get to three and a half. We'll see. But mm -hmm. certainly um, good chance that's enough. So the great moderation optimistic. is over, though. We know that. Sure. Absolutely. So it'll be still very interesting to watch Powell, but I don't think we're going to get too much information about what the world's going to look like in um, Q1. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 so, no. So we'll also get the um, these flash PMIs globally. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, Europe performs relative to the U.S., right? Given the mm -hmm. energy crisis is intensifying as, you know, we get closer to winter. Uh, over there. Uh, and then um, you, you mentioned the PCE. So Jeff Roach thinks that the PCE will come down a bit based on its components. So like you said, Quincy, that may put markets in a little bit better mood heading into Powell's comments um, Friday morning. So um, really, really interesting week. Uh, mm -hmm. Just a, a lot of key data, a lot of interesting uh, data points and comments uh, coming out of the Fed. Uh, for folks to watch. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But, you know, we think the market probably has a little bit more downside near term. A pullback probably makes sense um, given how far we came in such a short period of time and given uh, certainly this inflation battle. While we think it will eventually be won, uh, has not been won just yet. So um, with that, uh, we'll close it out. Thank you, Quincy, for joining another uh, edition of LPL Market Signals. Thank you to all of our listeners. We greatly appreciate you being with us, especially during vacation time. Hopefully some of you are uh, listening to this on your phones at the beach uh, rather than uh, back at your offices. Uh, so uh, wherever you are, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back with you next week for another edition of Market Signals. Uh, we will see you then. Have a great day, everybody.
This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.